house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. some groceries for dinner you got any more improvements you want to make around here but maybe mitch might want to work on something did you ask him about it of course she did i feel inspired and discover the only thing harder than holding on they call them accidents because it's nobody's fault my son's dead your granddaughter's not and neither were you is letting go i want to know what killed my boy i killed a minor is that what you want to hear did you hear anything unusual last night? Somebody poking around down by the river. It's a police report. He was my boyfriend. Hello, and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that lives by the gospel of the Lady Chablis. Two tears in a bucket, motherfuck it. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, entertainment writer Chris File, and as always, I am here with my co-host, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. Hi, Chris. Hello, Joe. Let's be very excited to talk about this not very exciting movie. Not very exciting movie. Okay, but what I will say, I think our listeners will be in for a treat for. I feel like we have found like the bingo card. That is true. This had Oscar buzz type of things. Okay, it, uh, so it's it's it unlocks so many other doors. <laughs> it, I mean, like it, scream bingo at some point in this episode. I don't know. We'll give you a prize, something. Add us with the word bingo, whatever. Yeah. So what we have today, we have a really deep cut. It's a super Oscar friendly director. There's lots of Hollywood heavyweights starring in it. It's a literary adaptation. There's generalized themes of grief we got some weird animal stuff happening oh boy do we yeah and we got a that's been a weirdly recurring theme in the movies that we've watched so far is animals as metaphors and i feel like this is somewhat close to serena in a lot of ways sure and then we also have like the free space at the center of our bingo card that's really bad accents oh yeah that's a good point yes we do we will get into it but for our listeners we are talking about Lassa Hallstrom's 2005 melodrama, An Unfinished Life. An Unfinished Life is the... Do you, do you remember the there was a play on Broadway several seasons ago with Estelle Parsons called The Velocity of Autumn? That I was like, that sure. is the most, like, pick words out of a bucket and assemble them as you please. Like... Broadway title ever like vague important introspective like sort of suggests a type of character a little bit if you like squint hard enough Uh, you can imagine like the slanted f on unfinished like it's in some like curvature font that's the same thing yeah unfinished life it's like it could mean basically anything but it gets you in the generalized sort of oscar gauziness that you want to go to it's a real Mad Libs of a title, and it's also a real Mad Libs of a movie. Like, Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely pick out parts of other movies. 
So what we have going on in this movie, like I said, it's Lassa Hallstrom, who we will probably be talking about a whole bunch on this podcast. Yeah. Eventually. Classic Oscar boogeyman, Lassa Hallstrom. Well, I mean, not any, we'll get into it, but not really anymore. Like if I told you. Right. Some of our listeners, the movies that he has done lately, you would kind of be shocked if You'd you be haven't very already surprised. looked him up. Yeah, that's um, true. But it's also, like I said, there's an adaptation of a book. Um, the book is co-written um, by the spouse, I believe, of the author of the book, starring Robert Redford and Morgan Freeman, Jennifer Lopez, and Cameron Mannheim. Wait, did the spouse of the of the author have to finish the book because he had died or something? Not that I have found in my research, but... Because I was going to say, that would make An Unfinished Life like an incredibly ironic title for a book (laughs) like that. Um, Okay, that's an odd... That's an odd... I I had visions of, like, you know, congressmen's wives finishing their husband's terms or something like that. (laughs) I mean, you know... Or widows, actually. (laughs) (laughs) To take it in a completely other direction. Widows coming soon. This episode will be airing uh, shortly before we land at TIFF. I'm sure, like, all that will be on our mind at that time is movies like Widows. Please, 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 please let my schedule be free so I can see Widows. Please, please, please. I'm sending it back Yeah, the schedule hasn't dropped yet, so Joe and I are like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens to each other? other so it's like you know we're, we're excited by now though like everything we're almost there everything's fine um yeah. <laughs> we are not talking about a movie that went to tiff though uh, we'll get into like the release of this movie but an yeah. unfinished life is one of those things that opens as tiff is going on and the oscar conversation is happening where yeah Tell me if you've ever noticed this, Joe, with any movies that come out, that it's like, if they don't go to the festival, and they open during the festival, and they're part of an Oscar conversation, or originally were part of an Oscar conversation, yeah, they're it's not, kind of they like they're anymore. trying to hide it. Yeah. Like, they're trying to, like, make people forget about it, at least people who are right. watching Oscar. Unless you're, like, it-style counter-programming, where, you know, you're trying to go a completely other direction. Yeah, it's not the best. Even right. the movies that like open at TIFF and then open wide right after, like a week after, also seems like doomed for failure. Yeah. As we Not saw. Not always Mother. a good recipe. Yeah. So Joe, before we get into the episode, would you like to do a 60-second plot rundown. <sighs> yes, I'm going to try. I'm really winging it with this one. I did not prepare anything at all, but yes. Hey, like I said, this is this had Oscar buzz bingo this episode, so it's like you could just like throw a dart at a wall and you'll probably land on something with this movie. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm starting your timer now. Okay, Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Lopez plays a woman named Jean. You need to know that, first of all. She has a daughter named Griff. You also need to know that. Griff was probably friends with Murph from Interstellar, for all we know. Uh, they live in the generalized West to Midwest area to begin with. Jennifer Lopez is getting beat up by her boyfriend, played by Damian Lewis. Uh, she has had enough, enough, great Jennifer Lopez, um, and, and moves out and moves away. And who does she move in with? Her mean old ex-father-in-law. Um, the, 30 the, seconds. Oh, fuck. Um, Robert Redford. Uh, 
Redford's son, her husband, had died in this way that nobody talks about, but we assume he blames her for it. Redford is also living with his best friend Morgan Freeman, who was recovering from being mauled by a bear a while ago. And, like, Redford has to take care of him because he's very sickly. And um, Josh Lucas plays the sheriff in town. And Jennifer Lopez is trying to get her life back together, and everybody tries to forgive each other because everybody blames each other for something. And Damian Lewis comes back, and then they don't kill him, even though you think they're going to, but they don't. Time. Okay. I think you did a really good job there. Okay. You definitely thought they were going to kill Damian Lewis, right? I definitely thought they were going to kill Damian Lewis, whatever he is. I'm glad you brought him up as well because, and you also brought up Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas plays like the local sheriff or whatever, who eventually becomes like Jennifer Lopez's boyfriend during the movie. Um, And like, how shocking was it to see... A movie like this, where there's a domestic abuse situation, and Josh Lucas wasn't the abuser. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Josh, seeing Josh Lucas in a movie is like, this is an oft overused phrase of mine, but like it's like phantom limb pain, where it's just sort of like, oh right, I remember what that used to be like, like Josh Lucas in movies. Um, yeah, I think the movie does a couple interesting things with that. I like the way that they allow Jennifer Lopez's character to like have sex with him and sort of like you know have sex for pleasure and have sex for protection and have her be very upfront about both of it where you know Redford even sort of says like you screw in him you know cuz you wanna cuz you like him or cuz he's a cop and she's just sort of like eh like little from column A <laughs> little from column B and I don't know. That felt a little sort of refreshing. I also like the fact that he doesn't save the day really for her. Like there isn't that kind of predictable, you know, thing where he just sort of comes in and, and acts as her savior, which is good. Right. Cause I mean, you kind of have this like amalgam of everyone, I guess playing her savior, but kind of playing each other's savior in this movie. Yeah. I mean, this um, is definitely a movie about, we all have to be there for each other because it's what people do. They stay alive for each other. It's very the hours. Um, but also, like, obviously forgiveness is the big theme here where Redford blames Jennifer Lopez for her his son's death. She blames him for blaming her, like, sort of. Like, she resents him for the way that he treated her after her husband died and As listeners will have heard in our trailer clip where they have the confrontation. And she's like, is that what you want to hear? I killed him. It's my fault. Yeah. You know? And as these things tend to, to be, when we find out what actually happened, we as sort of disinterested third parties, and I say disinterested for real, um, <laughs> but sort of can see very clearly that like, oh, this, you know, while somebody may somebody's actions may have precipitated what happened, there is no, you know, nobody did this with any kind of malice. There's no reason to hold anybody at fault. But we can, you know, understand. I think the Cameron Manheim character. I didn't mention the Cameron Manheim character, Nina. The uh, is every diner owner in a small town in these things named Nina. I feel like that's a thing. Um, names are so cl- You mentioned that Jennifer Lopez is named Jean. Does have you ever seen Jean. anybody who's looked less like a Jean than Jennifer Lopez? I mean, <laughs> she does not look like a Jean, for Pete's sake. Poor Jennifer I understand Lopez that is... this is like a book that you have. Like, that's another thing. Is Redford's character's name is Einer, which you know 
that something is based off of a book when you have a character whose name is something like Einar, where it's like that only looks good on a page. You don't know how that sounds. You have an audience who spends like three quarters of the movie being like, what is she calling him? What is his name? Anyway. It's like an Annie Prue novel where it's like she just throws a bunch of wooden blocks at a wall and that's what a name ends up being. I'm sure we're going to talk about the shipping news at some point. Oh my god, yes. Oh buddy, the names Fucking in the shipping Fucking wavy news. prouse, get the fuck out of here with that. Uh, okay, this makes me think so much, I mean, speaking of Lassa Hallstrom, it's, this is, it's part of why this movie is so tepid and like weak tea, because it's, it's like, it's a lame version of the shipping news wow that is truly something i mean like it's you know it's in this rural part of the continent it's about healing and family and an intergenerational story yeah i feel like lassa hallstrom's movies can cluster and i feel like uh, you can probably take like a few of them at a time that sort of feel he's, he's made a lot of different types of movies actually, but he usually makes like two or three at a time that feel of a type, right? Where like the shipping news I mean, feels like this feels a little like safe Haven. Like it's funny that how much I watched this movie and was like, Oh right. This is the guy who directed safe Haven, which by the way, get into the Lassa Hallstrom of it because like it. safe Haven, which correct me if I'm wrong is a Nicholas Sparks novel. Yeah. It was either a Nicholas Sparks going... novel or a Nicholas Sparks like original screenplay, but essentially, yeah. But like, he's directed a Nicholas Sparks movie. No, he's directed two. He's done <laughs> right, Dear, Dear John. John. That's right. That's what I mean about clusters. He makes like movies in clusters. He makes the uh, the Hundred Foot Journey as well as Salmon, Fish, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen, which feel similar-ish. Um, kinship. Uh, an he unfinished life done... feels like the shipping news. Chocolat sort of feels like uh hundred foot journey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like sometimes they'll yeah, like double like back. It's it's well, he was kind of like a Miramax guy. Like I oh, wonder sure. if they just brought the screenplays to him. Like I couldn't find any information on what his relationship was with the Weinsteins during the Miramax era, but it's like he exclusively made movies with them. Right. Um and now he's doing things like A Dog's Purpose, that right. dog movie with Dennis Quaid. And he's sharing the director's duties on that new Nutcracker movie coming out this year, which I'm sure will be wonderful. Um, oh, the title is so weird, too. It's like <laughs> Nutcracker, like and Dawn the of the Robots or realms. something. What is it? And The Four Realms. It's so and dramatic. The Four Realms. Um, Lasse Hallstrom's career is interesting because a lot of people don't realize that he started off or sort of he came to prominence in america as a lone director nominee at the 87 oscars Mm -hmm, with uh, my life as a dog with my life as a dog and got a director and a write uh, a screenplay nomination off of that movie and Mm -hmm. then from there i think his next big one correct me if i'm wrong is gilbert grape right yes that's at least he has some other titles that i don't recognize so it's like maybe those are b-sides that like some listeners are screaming at me that like made him in sweden or something like that he also made like a lot of abba videos is the other thing um (laughs) like the entire first half of his career and like so much of his imdb page is abba videos which is amazing 
I need to um, research if he did the ABBA video. Listeners should look it up. I don't know if it's the original video or if this was like a performance. My favorite ABBA song, Chikatita, has a one where they are. That's just your like favorite singing. ABBA song. I love That's you my so ABBA much. Song. That's so funny. Um, there's a video of Chikatita where they are no explanation whatsoever performing in front of a giant snowman. Okay. Um, that's amazing, first of all. His IMDb Wonderful. does not, that I can see, have Chikatita, but it has basically everything else. Um, yeah, so but he comes like back around with Gilbert, Gilbert Grape. Grape. Gilbert Grape ends up doing really well with the Oscars. DiCaprio, Leonardo DiCaprio gets a nomination. I feel like that was, if not, I think maybe that's one of those, if there were a top 10 that year, it might have been hanging around that you know nine or ten range i think it was one of those movies it sort of it captured johnny depp at a really important part of his career when he was transitioning from oddball tim burton guy um or like the edward scissorhands slash crybaby era of johnny depp to this sort of swoony like everybody just sort of like looks at him in size he was like for a long time, Johnny Depp played really, like, dream characters, like Don Juan DeMarco, uh, Gilbert Grape, like, all of these guys. Um, and then from there, Hallstrom's next... Oh, he did Something to Talk About. That's another one that doesn't seem like a Lassa Hallstrom movie. Something to Talk About is good. Um, but Ke- at least Kira Sedgwick gets com- some buzz from that. Like, Yeah. Yeah. But the big Oscar story is the Cider House Rules in 99. Right. So you which... mentioned Harvey Weinstein, and I feel like that movie came along in the thick of, like, Harvey Weinstein, Oscar guru era. It was the year after Shakespeare in Love, where, like, he could, you know, could not be beat. He was going to, you know, strong-arm anything. And yet Miramax didn't really have anything in 99 going up into award season. And a lot of people, I remember being like, well, maybe, like, you know, they won the big one last year. This year we'll, you know, we'll plant, you know, alfalfa in the field or whatever and, like, replenish and let it, you know, whatever. And then, (laughs) um, that was a really good metaphor I had. That's the thing you do, right? If you're a farmer, you plant alfalfa and it, like, nutrients the ground i don't know guys i'm gonna confess something i'm not a farmer um (laughs) you're not and then all of a sudden i think it was like the golden globe nominations came out or maybe it wasn't even until i feel like before the oscars we had a little bit of an indication but i think once the oscar nominations happened and people were like holy shit the cider house rules really gets like best picture um best like screenplay supporting actor did he get a director nomination off of that as well i think he did I'm going to look that up. And then Um, all of a sudden, in a race that was like American Beauties to Lose, all of a sudden people were like, well, is the second place movie The Cider House Rules now? A movie that was reviewed well, but not enthusiastically so. And I actually, a lot of people really hate The Cider House Rules. I don't actually think it's that bad for what it is. I think it's hokey and sort of, I think it's fine. And I think it has good elements to it. I think... Toby Maguire is a difficult protagonist to wrap your head around, and I think that's a big problem with the movie. But Here's an interesting factoid about Lassa Hallstrom that I think speaks so much about his Oscar trajectory and the type of movies he does and how they do with Oscar, or at least we're supposed to. Lassa Hallstrom has never been nominated for a Golden Globe. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. 
When you would think he would be like very Hollywood foreign press friendly and that he works with big stars and he, I mean, they got that nomination for Samming Fishing in the Yemen. So like elements of his movies do well at the Golden Globes, but he hasn't. That's interesting. I think the Globes like celebrity directors as much as they like celebrities everywhere else. And he's right. a notable director, but has never become a personality, even in the way that like, I'm trying to think of other European filmmakers like Milos Forman. Do you know what I mean? Who right? You 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 feel like you know there's a little bit of like a you know oh Milos Forman he's kind of like a mad genius kind of a thing and I mean this movie that we're talking about is kind of like the tipping point right where it's back to back you have the cider house rolls chocolat the shipping news and then you have this well chocolat which... we should we should not gloss over chocolat because that was another one where that was not expected to get a best picture nomination that was a i think that was maybe not even a golden globe nominee for picture but i think it was one of those like it's fine juliette binoche oscar winner she's very lovely it's a i think of the the consensus was and i think it was because it was such an irresistible pun to make with the movie it was just like it's a fine confection but nothing more and all of a sudden that fifth slot in the 2000 Oscars goes to Chocolat over, among other things, my favorite Almost Famous. So, like, for a very long time, I held such a grudge against yeah. Chocolat. And I think then, that's, I think, when Lasse Hallstrom becomes Oscar Boogeyman. It's because two years in a row, he directs the slight, like, not that important, not that great Miramax movie that Harvey Weinstein shoved down the throat of the Academy. And all of a sudden, like, A, all, you know, that resentment towards Harvey also becomes resentment towards Lasse Hallstrom. And then all of a sudden, as I said, because he tends to make movies in clusters, those two movies and their similarities, all of a sudden they're just like, this fucking piece of shit, Lasse Hallstrom, only knows how to make this kind of movie. And I think then you mentioned the shipping news coming the next year being so bad that it really, and then I think for a while there in 2001, people were like, oh God, we're not going to get the shipping news too, are we? Well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean. Sorry, it seems like you had a head of steam going on about the shipping news and I cut you off. No, 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 no. (laughs) I, um. The shipping news is probably like the pinnacle Lasse Hallstrom movie, at least when we think of it, at least where it's like, I think the perception of what Lasse Hallstrom movies are, where it's like this piece of sappy shit. Like we've talked about like the term Oscar bait is a pejorative. And it's like, even people who don't like that phrase, like I'm one of them would throw it as a pejorative towards Lasse Hallstrom. Right. Um, and even this movie, too. But this movie stuck around for a while because this, I mean, we'll get into it as to why this failed. But this was as Harvey Weinstein was out the door at Miramax. As and the by this, you mean Disney an unfinished life. Unfinished life. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because an unfinished life had a delayed release. It was expected to come in 2004 yeah. and kind of died in 2005 as like this fire sale of Miramax product. Right. Um, that was all released right before they left. Um, but Lasse Hallstrom is definitely, like, this is the era where his name is attached to something, so it instantly had Oscar buzz because of the shadow of those movies we're talking about. The I want to read... Rule, Chocolat. 
I want to read his filmography from the shipping news on, from an Unfinished Life on. So after Unfinished Life, Casanova, which is the Charlie Hunnam movie, I believe. Um, I believe that's Heath Ledger, actually. Charlie Hunnam was in Nicholas Was Nicholas Nickleby. Nickleby. You're absolutely right. It was Heath Ledger. Yep. Casanova, uh, The Hoax, which, again, you're absolutely right. Every single one of these movies at least at the beginning, you're like, Oscar buzz? And then I think that stops with, I don't. I honestly don't know what Hachi a Dog's Tale is. I'm just, I'm just going to admit that. I think it's that stops with Dear John, because then all of a sudden Dear John happens, and it's like, oh, he's not even making movies with Oscar ambitions anymore. He's just sort of making, he's cashing checks now. He's making Nicholas Sparks movies. He's doing whatever. I, well, I think with the exception of the next movie, which is Salmon Fishing in the, Yem- Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. But that um, one even... Like, nobody knew what that movie was until it got that Golden Globe nomination. But what I'm saying is, starting with Dear John, the rest of his movies, like, we don't even know that they're his movies. Like, Right. Can I make I a case for The 100 Foot like, Journey? I think The 100 Foot Journey sure. is a cute little movie. I will I haven't say. seen it. I think The 100 Foot Journey could have been shock a lot if it had happened in 2000. I think it's it's exactly the same kind of appeal. Interesting. Would you like to make the case for a dog's purpose? Uh, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> and I couldn't because I haven't seen it. Also, honest to God, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms looks like a Peter Jackson movie. Like it looks, it looks like, like a nightmare. Or a Tim Burton movie or something. It looks like it does not look like a Lassa Holster movie, which makes me think his next movie is also going to be a big, weird CGI blockbuster type movie because, again, he makes movies in pairs. So, well, and we've talked a little bit too. It's like it seems like a lot of these he's kind of a hired hand to make the same movie. So, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense that he's making one of these big budget movies. He's got co director credit with um, Joe Johnston on that. Wild. That's fucking wild. Jesus. He's had such an interesting career. Um, I don't think interesting extends to an unfinished life, though. It's, it does not. I think there are times when it feels like it's going to become a little bit something. I think the Morgan Freeman character is interesting because it's a character we don't see a whole lot in these kinds of movies. Or that that character sort of sits in the background as kind of an eccentric uh, piece of local color almost. And I think because it's mm. Morgan Freeman, you know that it's not going to be just that. And for a while there, it feels very million dollar baby esque. The whole movie actually gave oh, me million dollar ba- his... baby vibes. Oh, his, his character, especially the lines were blurred between his million dollar baby character and this one. But I feel like there's, there's something to Freeman in this movie when he has scenes like with the little girl or even when he has scenes with Jennifer Lopez, I'm like, okay, you're bringing a little bit of like interesting flavor into this movie that sustains it a little bit for a little while. Um, Ultimately he also has thing, you know, he has things he needs to forgive too. What he needs to forgive is the bear who uh, mauled Mauled him, him. which, uh, Boy, the bear Why? played by, I should mention, Bart the Bear 2, who was the same bear who was in Into the Wild and Game of Thrones. You don't watch Game of Thrones, do you? I do not. There's a Game of Thrones episode where Gwendolyn Christie has to fight a bear. 
And that's the same bear. And also in We Bought a Zoo. So this is a very famous bear. This is an Oscar queen bear. This is a very famous bear. Not the original Bart the Bear, who was the bear from The Bear. The Bear. And White Fang and Legends of the Fall and The Edge, who was a really famous bear. So really, was this the, the child of Bart the Bear? I honestly don't even know. <laughs> Bart the Bear 2 has a Wikipedia page, though. And under I- occupation, it says bear actor, which honestly... Of course. Like, of course. what else could it be? Um, Just imagining Bart the Bear 2, like, sitting down for, like, a first date with someone. They're like, so what do you do? He's like, I'm a bear actor. I'm a bear actor. And she's like, my mother told me about bear actors. I can't, like... She's like, you know, that's actually a deal breaker for me. I don't do bear actors. Um, I have to say, we always have, like, a star of every episode. And, like, I should have known that it would be Bart the Bear 2 that's, like, the star of this episode. <laughs> Supporting actor buzz for Bart the Bear 2. Who in 2005 could have could have bested him, really? Honestly. And who, you know what? Whose slot do you take be... away to give it to Bart the Bear 2? <laughs> William Hurt for History of Violence? Do, do we... Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon and Crash. Crash. Yeah, Matt Dillon and Crash. Get out of here. And we'll yeah. get into the crash of it all. Yeah. But, like, it's interesting because, like, there's definitely movie award groups that award, like, animal prizes to an animal. Uh, I lived through, like... through the fucking year of Uggy, Chris. I remember. I mean, I lived through the year of Uggy, too. But, <sighs> like, um... No one lived through that year like I did. Loudly <laughs> and unpleasantly is how I lived through Noted that year. animal hater. Noted Reed. pet foe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, poor Bart the Bear too. Um, no prizes for Bart the Bear too. It's too bad. It's too okay, bad. So... Bart the Bear two was at least better than the girl who played Griff. Sorry, Griff, but like, that's true. I love yeah, she was Griff. Made bad. me think of Young Murph so much. Murph, like, um... ugh, who's actually like in a bunch of things now. Nothing made me laugh more than the fact that the IMDb page forever as we're waiting for Interstellar had Ellen Burstyn as old Murph. And uh, whatever the hell the girl's name is, as young Murph. And I was just like, oh, my God, forever. Shout out to Richard Lawson, my friend. My friend in old Murph jokes. Um, Murph. Do we have to talk about an unfinished life? I feel like that's why we keep getting distracted. We keep getting distracted because it's the most... I mean, it's so uneventful. I kept being so happy whenever Cameron Mannheim came on screen because it was like, at least I can remember when I watched The Practice and how trashy fun that show used to be. Um, okay, this is maybe a good roundabout segue for what my memory is of the buildup in Oscar buzz for An Unfinished Life. Let's hear it. Because, And this is something we haven't talked about yet on this podcast, but this is also in the era when the full hellscape of the IMDb message boards were happening, Ooh. and you could find, like, Oscar talk and Oscar buzz for movies based off of the comment threads of people doing test screenings. And the distinct Shit, one, I totally forgot that, but you're absolutely right. There was this whole idea in the Oscar thread that the, like there was an Oscar possibility for Cameron Mannheim because like the test screening report person that reported back from seeing the movie, like gushed over Cameron Mannheim. I'll say she has one really good scene. She does have a good scene. Like, and it's like the type of understated emotionality that the movie sorely needs because it's so like yeah. rosy and obvious. Um, but she's barely in the movie. But also it's like it's like acting textbook one oh one in terms of 
sad scene in, in where it's just like right. she's telling the story of how her daughter died and she pauses at all the moments where you think like she she just sort of stopped talking for a second and she said and then i looked away and for just a minute and that's all it took and it's so i mean god bless cameron manheim i've always enjoyed her presence i just saw her will and grace episode the other day which is so funny can we um, talk about that monologue, though? Because yeah. this monologue happens. Jennifer Lopez, because she's been fighting with Robert Redford, they just can't get along, even though Griff is, like, really taking to Robert Redford and his not-boyfriend, Morgan Freeman. They can't get along. They have a fight. She goes to stay with Cameron Manheim. And Jennifer Lopez. Griff, yes. And yeah. Griff and Jean have a fight, and Griff, like, runs off, and Cameron Manheim's like, oh, she'll be fine. And then has this monologue about how she, like, looked away and her child was abducted. So it's like when she did that and little then, monologue and the moral scene, of I was that like, story, what the fuck? And the moral of that story becomes, hey, give Einar a break. Oh, right, right. Because the parent's not supposed to outlive their child, which is also, like, script writing 101. It's so funny to hear you describe that because I'm like, this is a movie with Robert Redford, Jennifer Lopez, Morgan Freeman, Josh Lucas. There are two characters named Gene and Griff. Tell me who plays them. And it's just like, you would never (laughs) expect it. There would be the mother and daughter. Anyway, I'm going to get over this eventually. So back to the test screening thing, though. Yes. I think we have come around to the point about test screenings because where were the examples back in this time where you know positive test screening word which like they could have just been leaked by harvey weinstein oh yeah actually has any substance it's like we've been not just burned on it but we just don't take it seriously anymore but at this time now it feels like the other side it's gone even farther where it's like oh they're test screening this movie something must be wrong exactly exactly because we have like the tulip fevers of the world and i bet this was one of them where they do all of these test screenings because they're testing different versions of the movie because they keep tinkering with it yeah this movie felt like they just like whittled it away into nothingness i mean yeah probably true can i talk about jennifer lopez for a second oh please talk about jennifer lopez because we haven't said barely anything about this performance and i was fully fascinated I mean, I don't think it's that great of a performance. I feel like Jennifer Lopez has a career that fascinates me because she breaks through with, I mean, in Living Color or whatever, but, like, she breaks through with Selena uh, in, like, a huge way. Like, that movie was, like, really, really impressive, and you know, for her, and it was sticky in the culture. And then she follows that up with, out of sight, which everybody kind of agrees was amazing and that she was amazing in. And I think that's one of those like hop in your time machine movies. You would absolutely change, you know, swap out one of those nominees, probably Meryl. Sorry, Meryl. I really do like one true thing. Um, But you put, you put Jennifer Lopez in that field for that year, because that's a fantastic performance. And then she becomes a pop star and this weird little optical illusion of perception happens where all of a sudden all the work she did in Selena in out of sight. She'd also been in like U-turn the, the Oliver Stone movie, which isn't a good movie. It's actually a fantastically bad movie. Um, and Anaconda, which is also a bad movie, but like she was, you know, building this movie stars career. She was also, by the way, in the cell, uh, weird gaze, weird gaze of the world rally around me. She was in Tarsum's the cell. 
But all of a sudden, she starts its pop career. And she's fully bumped back to square one, where not only now is she this... She's not an actress with a pop career on the side. She's a fantastically successful pop star who is now being treated as a pop star when she shows up in movies where all of a sudden she shows up mm-hmm. in movies and it's like, who's this singer trying to act? And it's like, bitch, do you not remember out of sight? She was fantastic. And it's not like I'm saying that like the wedding planner is a good movie or angel eyes is a good movie or like, I mean, maybe Manhattan's fine. Geely's terrible. Jersey girl's bad. Shall we dance? Like it's a bad string of movies, but I think that gets treated differently. If you're dealing with an actress whose reputation is out of sight in Selena versus a pop star whose reputation is like waiting for tonight and dating Ben Affleck. And I think it's really too bad because all of a sudden we like, we put her in a box and we never really let her get out of it again. And while I do think like it is absolutely possible that Jennifer Lopez could end up with an Oscar nomination, if not an actual Oscar at some point in her her career, it's going to be via this really weird roundabout of a career that feels like it didn't have to take the detours that it took if we would have just been able to like walk and chew gum at the same time, just like see her as an actress and as a pop star separately. Am I crazy? So, or what? No, you're not because I would be so happy to see her work with Steven Soderbergh again. Oh my God. Absolutely. But all of that context you're talking about, like that was the context that I watched this movie because I was fascinated by like what she was doing because she's neither good nor bad. She is profoundly miscast, but I just kept asking myself the whole time, what is she doing here? Like, why did she agree to this movie? It's kind of a nothing part. They make her do this. Yeah. She's by far the least interesting of all the leads. Just on the page too. Like it's not even her performance. Like the movie is fully disinterested in her. Right. Um, like, even less than Cameron Mannheim, who has maybe 10% of her screen time. Um, but I, I just don't... I, I mean, maybe the appeal was working with Lassa Hallstrom, because this is still, like, Oscar Lassa Hallstrom, and sure. maybe it was working with Redford and, like, the rest of the cast. But it does nothing for her. Right. And, like, they force her into this ridiculous, like, southern dialect where she's not even from the South. Yeah, it's... It's an ill it's an ill fitting everything with her in this movie. And and yet you still see like the decision to make her a like a list leading actress is a no brainer because she brings so much charisma to a movie and she's like one of the like most watchable people in the entertainment industry, just in terms of like I will watch her do whatever because whether it's like judging American Idol to, you know, being in The Boy Next Door, another movie I will stick up for. Um, through all of these bad movies, like, I get why she keeps getting to make them because she's such a great movie star. She's absolutely, she has that quality. And you're right about the Soderbergh thing. Like, what I wouldn't give to see her work with some directors, and maybe part of it is. You know, maybe she'd have to take a supporting role every once in a while. Maybe she's just not interested in doing that. But I have to believe there's a role out there that is really going to capitalize on what she can do because she can still do it. I definitely agree with you. I don't think 
I don't. I mean, I wonder if some of it was her being sidelined into romantic comedies and like, yeah, not ones that are all like they're fun to watch, but they're not necessarily interesting, right? In the way that she can deliver something that's incredibly like layered on top of being watchable like she did with selena and out of sight i don't use romantic comedy as a pejorative at all i don't know whether that's where she's the most interesting i think there are actresses who really come alive in romantic comedies and there's something i don't know there's something about her where i feel like i know she's gonna be fine do you know what i mean like you're jennifer lopez you're gonna be fine um, I stick up for a movie like Monster in Law. I don't think it's a great movie, but I think it's very watchable. I think, you know, you've got Lopez and Jane Fonda. It's a, it's funny. The funny thing about that movie is it's Jennifer Lopez and Jane Fonda doing what is essentially the same plot of Crazy Rich Asians, um, but in a completely different context. And yeah. But that's another movie where, like, I don't care whether you end up with Michael Vartan. He's cute. Yeah. Like, I mean, get on that. But ultimately why i like that movie better than some of her other romantic comedies is like oh no it's you and jennifer and jane fonda like at each other's throats like that's what's interesting to me and i think i think that's maybe where i like jennifer lopez the best is i think that's why i love enough so much is i don't have to care about you know relationship issues with her it's just like she's got some shit to do she's got some people to kill and <laughs> she's gonna and do she's it she's gonna be fine like as stressful as a movie like that could be that's like, another it's movie jennifer lopez like she... it's gonna have a happy like we, we're gonna be fine that's another movie where she plays a battered woman who has a fraught relationship with a father figure enough is way better than this movie oh my god watch enough 12 it, it, like, times before even considering mountains watching this above movie. this movie yeah um I am going to stick up for a Jennifer Lopez performance in a very maligned movie that is probably a this head Oscar buzz movie. Uh-oh. I think Jennifer Lopez is really good in Jack. I've never seen it, but it she sounds plays the terrible. Teacher, <laughs> and Jack falls in love with his teacher, and he's like, oh, but, like, it's not weird because I'm like an old man, and she's like very sensitive and she's like no jack when i see you i see a little boy is like, jack a... she's very good in like these ludicrous scenes is that a body swap movie jack is the movie where he is a young boy who ages aggressively oh okay see uh, yeah i knew what the movie was i didn't know what his deal was he ages aggressively right, right. it's not that he jumps into the body of a he's not like big aggressively isn't the word like i mean <laughs> No, he, he ages, ages aggressively. He ages. He he's excelled ex- aging biology. His age is accelerated. Yeah. Um, no, I think Jennifer Lopez is good in that movie. All right. Well, now I'm gonna have to in watch it. Movie. We should t- we should do Jack for this head Oscar buzz because it absolutely did. That was Francis Ford Coppola, right? I believe so. Yeah. Wild. Ugh. Gives us another excuse to talk about Bram Stoker's Dracula. So I'm in. Oh. Um. So excited. So excited! I'm seeing that movie in theater in the and at the Quad Cinema in a few days. I'm very excited. I'm gonna burn this podcast to the ground <laughs> that you get to see that movie in a movie theater without me. I'm sorry. Um, just think of me. I'll be fine. Um, so we should talk a little bit more about why this movie failed with Oscar if we haven't done enough already to explain that the movie is just flat out a dead fish. It is a dead fish. Uh, um. But again, back to the release, like this was originally planned as Miramax's Christmas release for 
Christmas release for 2004 ended up getting pushed off the calendar, which, like, this is the time of where, like, the Miramax calendar would move around willy-nilly and things would get dumped. Um, And it was also the time of Miramax and the Weinsteins having a poor relationship with Disney, who was like, you know, now we have the Focus under Universal, Searchlight under Fox. Right, all of the independents have become dependents. And so Weinstein Company began in November of 2005 because of their contractual obligations, they had to dump a bunch of their movies before the the contract expired at the end of September. So you have this movie opening around Labor Day in 2005, and then the rest of those like fire sale movies are Proof and The Brothers Grimm. God. And of course, like no one is excited for this movie by the time that it opens. Like I don't even think they had a poster and a trailer until like a month before this movie opened. It was like, and yet, as you said, we have been, we had been talking about this movie for over a year in terms of like Oscar anticipation. And boy, I didn't realize the brothers Grimm was part of that. The brothers Grimm is a better movie than people realize. I think that was the movie that made me think Heath, oh, Heath Ledger could be a serious actor. because Heath Ledger is the best thing about that movie. He's doing some really, really interesting things in that movie, and he really makes the leap from, like, teen heartthrob type where, you know, God, he was so, like, appealing in 10 Things I Hate About You. Um, Into, like, quirky actor. Yeah, The Brothers yeah. Grimm was delayed by, like, almost, I think, two years, and it was released in late August. And I guess I just 05. assumed that that was a Terry Gilliam thing. That, like, well, that's, you know, right. what happens to Terry Gilliam movies. Yeah. Yeah. Proof is another one that I will be excited about to eventually talk oh, about. Oh, we will 1 million percent be talking about Proof. Although that's another movie that like I don't even remember what I thought of that movie. Like it's... How many times I'm going to pose this question to you. How many times do you think I saw Proof in the theater? Wow. I I I'm assuming this means more than one. Oh, more than one. I saw it 3 times. Wow. Okay. Wow. Because you thought one of those times when you showed up, it would be Mary Louise Parker in the role that won her the Tony instead of <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow? Okay, so, like, this is going to make me sound quite a bit uncool, because, like, now I don't think this play is really, like, thought of or regarded all that well. I was obsessed with the play. I saw Anne Heche in it on Broadway. You know, my um, old roommate I... was uh, was the dresser on that play. Oh, really? She was Mary Louise Parker's dresser. She was Anne Heche's dresser. Yeah, she was, she's like, has nothing but wonderful memories of that play. I I was a big fan and I was eagerly waiting over a year to see Gwyneth Paltrow do that movie. And I saw it three times. Yeah, I really wanted that movie to be good. I had never seen the play, um, but I knew that it was a thing. And I knew that like it, it won the Tony for Mary Louise Parker, who was somebody I really liked, um, who by this point had done the West Wing and, and Angels in America. So like she was, and still is one of my favorite actresses. Um, yeah. Proof, proof was tough. Um, do we want to talk about the one so award? Like, that's just, kind of, that was the, um, the death of the movie as far as awards are concerned. Yeah. Um, but yes, I think you are mentioning the, the, the uh, one award it did win. Joe, please tell us what this award is. This is award I didn't know, an award I did not know existed. We kind of like those here. I was going to say, that's sort of become our thing, is discovering awards that we didn't know existed on the awards tabs for movies that completely failed with the Oscars. So have you heard of the Canadian Network of Makeup Artists? I hadn't. It doesn't surprise me that one exists because, you know, 
Canadian makeup artists have to network somehow. Um, They should celebrate work. They should. They absolutely should. So they honor makeup in film. And An Unfinished Life bested a movie called Blizzard that I've never heard of. That I'm just going to click on it right now to see who it starred. Brenda Blethyn and Paul Bates were in a movie directed by LeVar Burton. Okay. God, Canada. God damn it. I love you. Um, I have had a weird number of conversations that have involved Brenda Blethyn this week. Really? I had a conversation with you about Brenda Blethyn. It's true. Wow. That is true. Whoopi Goldberg was the voice of Blizzard. Blizzard, it seems to be, it seems was a reindeer, was an enchanted reindeer. Oh my God. That's incredible. So So much of this is incredible. An Unfinished Life was nominated against a reindeer movie. Yes. And against... The Human Stain, one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Um, Nicole Kidman. Weinstein disaster. Nicole Kidman, Ed Harris. What was this calendar for these awards? Because that is a 2003 movie, correct? Yeah, I mean, maybe not in Canada. I don't know. But yes, you're right. These are these are really spanning, spanning the globe. They see these are the 2004 awards. So maybe they're counting an unfinished life opening at the Edinburgh film festival or whatever the hell it was that it had opened before it opened. Um, anyway, an unfinished life beats out blizzard and the human stain for best makeup artist for a feature film for Jane Dansko's, uh, Dan Coase's makeup in this movie, which ultimately, uh, boils down to the post bear mall makeup on, uh, Morgan Freeman. He's very scarred up his back and his face have a lot of scar tissue on it from the aftermath of this bear attack so and i will say it's like kind of like heavy thick makeup like it's it's, not it's not terrible it's like a phantom of the opera mask but flesh colored exactly that is on his face very that a little bit i have to say and like this is not to in any way make fun of like domestic abuse but the when i saw that award i completely forgot about Morgan Freeman's scars. And you thought it was about her black eye? I thought it was about her, like, purple stain on her cheek from, like, at the beginning of the movie when she's escaping Damian Lewis. And I was like, it looks like she, like, is a little kid that's eaten a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, I don't... (laughs) Wow. But no, it's because there's bear makeup. Can I give you one more tidbit from the the Canadian Network of Makeup Artists Awards? Winner... for Waiting. winner for best wig making or design for television, feature film, or theater is a movie that I referenced today, in fact. Connie and Carla. <gasps> Get them wigs, girl! Oh, do you know how much I love Connie and Carla? I've never seen it. Okay, so we'll we'll fix that. Because okay. I own it. But also when Hereditary was happening earlier this year and everybody was talking about Tony Collette, everybody's like I love Muriel's wedding. Like everybody's talking about the sixth sense and all that. And I was like, just sitting in my corner whispering, like, will someone please talk to me about Connie and Carla? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Connie and Carla, which it's not on streaming. It's only has... available on disc on Amazon. That's wrong. Put that movie on streaming. Everybody, somebody fix Connie that. and Carla is wonderful. It has this opening montage where they do in an airport lounge. Mind you remember those? Yeah. Um, they do like an Andrew Lloyd Webber, Stop. um, mont like not montage, but a medley, and they have multiple costume reveals, and it's fantastic. And I do need to see I, this movie. 
I will say, if I have not sold you on Connie and Carla enough, it has, like... I've seen Cabaret a lot, and I think it has... Connie and Carla has a, like, top three maybe this time. Wow. Wow. It's wonderful. And they do it as a duet between Tony and Nia Vardalos, and it is fully wonderful. The vocal arrangement is fabulous. Wait, who's the third? It's Liza, it's Connie and Carla, and it's... Kristen Chenna with Ang Lee? someone I thought. No, no. Probably Natasha one of the Richardson? like 12 times I've seen the show. Okay. Should we move on to the IMDb game? Let's play the IMDb game. All right. Do you want to go first? I do. Like... I super do. Okay. So uh, IMDb game, we pick an actor or actress. We go on their IMDb. We see those known four movies, the four movies that IMDb seems to think are their most prominent movies and we quiz each other to see how many we can guess um if we make two wrong guesses then we are given the years and if we still can't get them on the years then we just give further hints because throw out a bunch of hints we want to help each other out so um also if yes. there is any voice work and television we mentioned that we mentioned we try that up to front. steer clear of marvel as well because marvel goes right to the top of every person who's been yes. in a marvel movie thank you for Unless bringing up the, yeah thank you for bringing up the tv or voiceover thing because that is actually going to play into the actress that i'm going to give you so lassa hallstrom director of an unfinished life has been married for quite some time to lena olin who is an actress who I do Um Lena Olin, four known fours. One of them is television. And give it a go. Okay. I kind of wish I didn't even know about the um, voiceover part because not voiceover. now I'm racking my brain. Not oh, voiceover. Not voice- oh, okay. Television. She has television. Okay. Television. Uh, uh, Lena Olin was in Chocolat. Yep. That's one. I know she was on Alias. Is it Alias? It is. Alias is the TV show. All right. So I got that out of the way. Lena Olin. Emmy nominated for her one perfect season of television, defeated by Tyne Daly. I still haven't gotten over it. Ooh. So you've got two. Okay. So I'm trying to remember movies that she was in. Like, Lena Olin is, like, one of those, like, white actresses that gay people, like, love to pull out of their back pocket. Like, I know her. First Um, of all, how dare you? Second of all, guilty. Um, right. Um, okay, these are not that difficult. Um, and if, I haven't guessed, I haven't gotten any wrong yet. No, um, I'm not going to give you any hints. I'm just going to say, don't get too defeated uh, too early. What is that? I think it's a Polanski movie with Johnny Depp about like Satanists. Oh, the Ninth Gate. Uh, the Ninth Gate. Yes. No. Good guess, but no. Seriously. Okay. Um. Uh, the unbearable lightness of being. Yes. Okay. So you've only gotten um, one wrong, and you've only got one to go. Lena Olin. Yeah. Uh, oh, um, uh, her Oscar nomination, Enemies: A Love Story. No, not Enemies: A Love Story. Okay, so now you're gonna get the year of the movie you are missing. It is 1993. Oh. I will say, even if you haven't seen this movie, you've seen her one big scene from this movie. I okay. bet. I guarantee you have. She's. This is crazy. I can't remember a movie she's in. Um... 
It's a crime. Oh, wait, she, she, oh, no, that's not 1993. I was going to say she's in The Reader. Yeah. Weirdly. Not, she is um, in The Reader. It's not The Reader. It's a crime thriller. It's really sort of dingy and, and dirty and kind of, uh, and it's 93, so it's pre Pulp Fiction. So it's not necessarily yes. like one of those trash what? influenced by Pulp Fiction. No, except like, you if you had seen it you'd be like oh yeah this is exactly in the same kind of like it's not referential in the way that pulp fiction is but like it's definitely this movie saw reservoir dogs like put it that way i like i think this is the first time i genuinely have to give up no okay so uh, it's a crime thriller as i said you've seen her one big scene she plays this like incredible femme fatale character um it's a movie that was in the direct vicinity of the professional. I remember because they both starred Gary Oldman, and I should have guessed the professional. the professional. He's the bad guy, and this one, he's the good guy. Oh, I want you to get this so bad. I genuinely think that I'm not like. Okay. If any of our listeners are tallying at home, like you can like just knock me down a few pegs. I on, mean, it's like, not like well a, we've done. It's not like a movie that like you know. It's crazy if you haven't seen it, but oh, I would recommend at least watching her big scene. It's Romeo is bleeding. I have genuinely oh not seen God. that movie, even though like I know it by title. She but has I have a scene where she movie. like fights off, not fights off, but like attacks Gary Oldman in a car, and she's like choking him out with her legs. It's like it's wild. It's like utterly wild. She's like amazing. Anyway, that Romeo is bleeding. Sorry, I gave you the Michael Pena of women. Um, you did you I mean? Know. I feel like we we made up a lot of ground for like the horrible things that I've done to you in this game. Okay. Um, you did a very. Okay. You started off so well, though. Honest to God, you did. I mean, it's the first time one of us had to just genuinely give up. Yeah. Um, all respect to Lena Olin. I will watch w- more of your movies to have more guesses. She's just one of those people that it's like, you know her, but I could not tell you a lot of the movies that she's been in. Yeah. Um, okay, so because I had two options for you, I had one that was going to be like Oscar-y because we didn't really talk that much about this Oscar year because we didn't really have to. Um but, I mean, I think I will level the playing playing field out a little bit more and give you something that is a little difficult. We are talking about not the abusive husband in an unfinished life, but the one who you think would be. I'm talking about the sheriff of an unfinished life, okay. Josh Lucas. All right, this is not cool. Um, <laughs> damn it. Sweet Home Alabama. Yes. Okay, that's the one gimme. Um is it that one where like it was a failed action movie and he's one of like three chumpy like pilots or whatever there's none of that okay um you know what one i'm talking about though right that one um i want to see jessica biel is in that anyway um like it's not gonna be the deep end um josh lucas i take it that mean you means you are not guessing the deep end don't make me guess the deep end for it to be wrong. Don't do that. Shout out to friend of the podcast, Karen Scarlett, and his tweets about Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas is such a creep in the deep end, and I was so and John- incredibly and intrigued. Um, and Jonathan Tucker. Oh. Um, the less I say about that whole thing, the better. Um, oh, the one where he was the coach. Um, 
Not Miracle. That was the one about hockey. Is it the basketball one where he's the coach? Just tell me that. You are thinking of... I will tell you it is not in there, so okay. that is your first guess, yeah. even though I can't tell you the title No, right it's now. a wrong guess for sure. It is definitely a wrong guess. It is... Where the hell is that movie in here? All right, I'm going to keep It's like it. Glory Road. It is called Glory like Road, which I weirdly like saw in the yeah, theater. Yeah, it's Glory Road. Um, Josh Lucas... Shout out to January sports movies, including Glory Road. Yeah, for real. Um, that's why I always think of Miracle when I think of that one. Okay, Josh Lucas. Are they all ones where he's played, like, either the guy who gets the girl or more likely the guy who, like, loses out on the girl to someone? There's none of that. That's I so will weird. say. The three remaining movies, I will give a mini hint. I will, like, fudge the rules here a little bit. He is only a lead in one of the three that are left. Oh, boy. I need years. Give me years. Okay. We we will just jump ahead to the years. Yeah. We're looking at 2001, 2006, which is the same year as Glory Road, and 2000. Oh, boy. Okay. Was the 2006 the one where he was a lead? Yes, and I will also say it is a movie that I have mentioned on this podcast last episode. Oh, no. In the Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil episode. In relation to... In relation to our last IMDb game. You mean like the one we did last week or like, or Lena? Oh, the no. one we did for Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. God, I can't even remember what we did for that. Okay, I'm putting a pin in that. Was... You gave me Gene Hackman. Oh, um, Behind Enemy Lines? No. What did you guess for Gene What was Hackman? the Gene Hackman movie I couldn't get? Oh, Lord Almighty. Uh, the Pos- Oh, Poseidon. Wow. Yes, Poseidon. Okay, so you have two more. Is one of them um, Session 9? Was that early enough for it to be Session 9? Nope, that is one of your. Um, that I will take that as another guess yeah. so that we can keep things moving along. Yeah. Um, Session nine. What a great. What movie. a great movie. It's too small to have been an IMDb game movie, but I just needed to throw something out there that I knew he was Session in. Session nine, which there is also a great movie called Series seven, and sometimes Series seven, the contender is that's a that's an Series excellent movie. Seven is so that's good. a Canadian Brooke movie, Smith. I'm pretty sure. Brooke Smith is so good in that movie. Holy crap! Seek it out okay, if it's available. So- anyway. We're still looking at 2000, 2001. Right. One of those is a Best Picture winner. Is a Best Picture winner? Oh, A Beautiful Mind. Yes, A Beautiful Mind. So I we always are still waiting on there. the 2000 movie, which is like, it's filled with a lot of like Josh Lucasy actors. Um, <laughs> this is a genre movie. This is definitely much more appreciated now. Than genre is in horror? Horror satire scary movie no i mean not not a i mean like it's a dark comedy um it is very violent it had ratings issues has a female director starring a leading performance that like the closest this got to oscar buzz was this performance what in 2000 actress based on a famous novel what horror satire Actress got Oscar buzz or came close to Oscar buzz? No, lead actor. Lead actor. This is a very jiffable movie. Oh, boy. Now I'm farther away from it. Female director. 
Famous shot of a butt in a shower. Oh. Um, well, not wild things, not uh, cruel intentions. Butt in a shower. It got a sequel that was direct to DVD that switched the genders. No. Do you just want the movie? Yeah, I'm going to have to give up, too. Give me, give it, give You're going to be real mad. I am. I am. It's American Psycho. He's an American Psycho. Yeah, all of these, all of those hints sure do pan out. Um, famous butt, female director, Oscar buzz, American Psycho. I would tell you what, maybe it's just the fact that that movie treats all of those guys as interchangeable sort of Ken dolls, but I could not have said in a in a while that Josh Lucas was one of those guys. Jared Leto's the only one of those guys I can pick out. I am genuinely shocked that none of uh, Josh Lucas's IMDb movies are him as like an abusive husband or like a mustache. I know. Man. Is Justin Thoreau one of those guys in that movie? I'm pretty sure. Okay. Anyway, good one. That's a good one. Josh Lucas. Joe, God damn it. Any last thoughts on an unfinished life? Oh no, God no! It's very dull. Um, I actually think Robert Redford is maybe bad in the movie. Like he at least started out that way. I think he maybe won me over by the end. But he's the only performance in it that I look back, that I look at, and it's just like, no, I'm not sold. Like you have not sold me. Um, I would not say he is bad. I would say he is genuinely the worst written character. He just has a lot of bullshit. Einer, say, All right, Einer. I don't think any character named Einer is going to be really a. a an interesting character and it's Einar spelled like e-i-n-a-r which like again it only exists on the page this does not like don't do this to your audience people just change it change it to to john i don't know <laughs> regular old john um justice for cameron manheim i wish he had gotten nominated as as, <laughs> as those uh as those test screenings really seemed certain that she would um thank you to bart the bear too Honestly, you're the wind beneath my wings. You're the claws beneath Morgan Freeman's back skin. I don't know. You are. I felt bad for the bear. They like captured it and then like caged it behind a very flimsy chain link fence. I will say like they're really lucky. The opening of the movie is true. It's Bart the bear too, like wandering the streets and you don't know that rummaging through like people's garbage cans. And like, how do you live? I'm sorry. How do you live in Wyoming when like that just could happen? Where like these school kids round the corner. It's like, Hey, it's a Kodiak. Jesus. Anyway. Anyway, I don't know. That's an unfinished life. That's a, that's an unfinished life. That's a finished conversation on an unfinished life. Yeah. And I guess that's our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore under or had underscore oscar underscore buzz uh joe tell our listeners where they can find you elsewhere i am on twitter at joe reed reed is spelled r-e-i-d i am also every day at decider.com writing about film and television and everything that's on streaming um if we're into toronto film festival time i will be covering the 29,000 Netflix movies that are going to be at Toronto this year. I'm very excited. It's a very big year for streaming and TIFF, so I will be busy, 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 so come read my stuff. 
Um, and I am on Twitter at Chris V file. That's F E I L. I am also, uh, I will be covering the festival as well for the film experience where you can also catch me writing about soundtracks and other things and Oscar ephemera and such. Um, yes, definitely follow us as this episode is dropping because we will be at the festival and talking about the movies we love. Um, we would also like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork for the podcast and also Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher and wherever else you get our podcasts. Um, it really does help us with iTunes visibility and such, so we love any five-star reviews from you lovely readers. Um, we also want to yeah, hear just... from weird gays who love the cell. I just want to put that out there. If... Oh, yes. If you are a weird gay who loves the cell, please, please let us know. Let us know. Put it in we your... are not alone. Put it in your review. Tweet at us. Get at us somehow. I want to make this happen. I, I want to clarify, am not a weird gay who loves the cell. I'm a weird gay who thinks the cell is fine. Um... But I support Chris in his efforts to be a weird gay who loves the cell. So you know what, listeners? Like we can't stand for this. This is unacceptable. You need to send him gifs of I don't know Vincent D'Onofrio disemboweling oh, Vince Vaughn. So until, many things he disembowels until Joe joins our ranks. Um, yes, but please rate, review, and subscribe. Don't let us be an Aimless bear wandering the streets of iTunes. <laughs> help Sorry, us find, help people uh, find us. Yeah, help us find a good Montana home. Um, but that's all for this week. We hope that you come back next week for more buzz. buzz. Bye. Bye.